spoke to um, one of our members and uh, he went MIA for about a year and a half. So this was uh, this was a fellow that was out of benefits because the way we work, as long as you're working, you, you know, your benefits are getting paid in. But he went MIA and fell off, if you will, reached out to the MAP program, which we're going to be talking about. And, uh, you know, he was looking for help. You know, we found him bottom of the barrel, as low as you can go, rock bottom, if you will. You know, through connections, since I've been doing this with uh, recovery houses and things, we were able to get them what's called a scholarship where they'll take somebody in, you know, on the arm and uh, give them some treatment. So he got three weeks of treatment. He got detox and two weeks of treatment there. He had nowhere to live. Uh, we were able to secure him a sober living house, which they're available pretty much all over. Some people know about them, some don't. Somewhere where he could live amongst a community of men that are all doing the same thing. Um, at a reasonable price of like $200 a week, which is very reasonable for living in New Jersey. And we got him back to work and he is, uh, you know, he's doing great. And he, he called me up and he was on his lunch break and he just said, you know, Hey, I just checking in, man. I said, Hey, how's everything going? How are you? And he said, I'm, I'm doing good. He goes, and he goes, I was running a bulldozer today. And he goes, I was running a bulldozer. I'm pushing this dirt pile up. And he goes, uh. I stopped for a minute, took a sip of water, and he said, you know, if it wasn't for that program, I'd be dead. And uh, I said, well, maybe, maybe not. I said, but here you are. You're out there. You're doing it. And, uh, you know, he's building his life back together. I mean, he's mid-50s. Um, so this isn't just like a young guy kind of thing. And he's, you know, he's putting his life back together. And to, to get a success story like that, you know, pushes you and makes it, makes it all worth it really. In the end, the rest of your day is pretty good. Anything could happen during the day, but the rest of your day is pretty good. When you hear something like that, he said that he was kind of reconnecting with his daughter who he's been estranged from for about three to four years. That's good stuff. You know, it's all baby steps. It's all baby steps, you know, but he's got a good place to live. They have, you know, meetings every night, you know, he has to produce clean urine to be there weekly, you know, all the things that are going to keep him in line. Uh, the IOP that he's doing, which is intensive outpatient for his drinking issues. He's going to that nightly. And uh, we were able to connect him in with you know, a community that we have now of people that are sober and dealing with addiction issues or have dealt with addiction issues or in recovery. Um, so he has community within this crazy world of construction as well, which that's huge. That is huge. Chris, I, I love so many things about that story that, that you're sharing. Like, first of all, it's like, this is just one story of probably hundreds, if not thousands, that the work that your group is doing, that you personally are doing, this is a phone call that you got. And for the yeah. people listening, like these type of things, we like to compartmentalize and I can't even say it right, but we right. wanted to think that you can separate family issues, work issues, and keep things separated. It's just a myth. It's all interconnected. I, I grew up in a house where I had a family, a close family in and out of similar type of scenarios. And, and even now that I've, you know, I've been 30 years in construction, we know people like that. They're next to us and around us every day. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, these types of programs and groups didn't exist. And I can only imagine how different my life could have been for some of the people that I no longer have with me. They're not here anymore because there wasn't these types of things in this network of people or even the ability to talk about it. So everyone sit back, relax, plug in. This is going to be a great show with Chris. I already hyped this up 
And I told a friend of mine, I said, this is going to be a show you're going to watch over and over again. So not, not, be, not because, not because of a good looking guy. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was that was awesome, Chris. That'll be the the opening hook, uh, including that last joke. I'm gonna keep that in. That's freaking gold, yeah, man. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is, you have to. It can't all be serious. You have to throw that joke in there to let people take a breath, and and, and that's that's important. absolutely because you know? like one of the things I'll say when I do public talking, I'm like, you know, I'll I'll come out with some statistics and. Uh, and I'll say something and I'll say, well, that, that comes out to this. I'm like the rest of you guys in construction. I went to high school for eight years too. And, and like the place starts breaking out. <laughs> so here they are. But that laugh lets me know I have their attention. Yeah, I know they're listening. And, and that's, that's what's important. And that could, be, that could be a group of five people and it could be a group of uh, 200 people. And if I get through to one person, I've done something. Yeah, that's a win. Yeah. It's an absolute win. No, I, I yep. appreciate that. We are we're kindred spirits. Yeah, yeah, Love and that. that's 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 where you know that's where I connect, and that's where I'm effective. Uh, you know, sharing lived experience, and that's very very real. Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute, LCI is working to lead the building industry and in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Chris Lalavi. Chris, we met on the one social media platform that I barely do anything on, but I'm so happy that I pay attention occasionally. And that, that platform is Twitter, but your content and uh, engagement in many different social platforms really stands out because so many people in our industry just participate in silence and never say anything. And, and we know there is a power in showing up, being available to people, sharing a dialogue, and it can have consequences, third order, fourth order, fifth order, beyond our capabilities. And I'm just a huge, huge admirer of the work that you do specifically with mental health and normalizing the conversations that people can have in the space. And like we were talking about before the show started, you can absolutely save a life. And sometimes even a tweet can be the difference between somebody getting the help that they need or not. With that, Chris, I would love to open it up and have you introduce yourself to the audience. You're also my first BA on the show. So breaking a record, it's about freaking time, four yeah, seasons late. Yeah, so I'm super glad. You're going to set the, the bar really high for all the other BAs listening to the show. Yeah, Chris beat you. He's the first, and he's going to be the best. So go ahead and tell people a little bit about uh, your background. And for a lot of people probably don't know what a BA does or is. And uh, yeah, throw any acronyms you throw out, Chris, I'll ask you to tell people what those mean in case you forget. Sure, no problem. Thanks, Felipe. It's great to be here, and I appreciate you reaching out because for me, yes, it is a, it is a very serious subject. And in construction, being a male-dominated industry, it's, uh, it's something that's not really talked about enough. You know, my thought is it should be. And there's a decent amount of people out there that, that feel the same way. Myself, I started with Local 825 as a dispatcher in the referral hall. I worked there for eight years. 
then was moved to uh, the position I'm in now, which is a business agent. Um, so basically my day-to-day as a dispatcher was taking calls from members and contractors and sending them out to work, sometimes taking complaints, uh, things of that nature, talking to our members, sending them out to the jobs, where to go, bringing them back in, you know, onboarding them onto our list and getting them out. And now as a business agent, I am, uh, I take care of an area that's called Hudson County. So Hudson County is right across the river from New York city. Um, so it's a very urban area, very tight area. Um, not easy to get around, but it's my daily. It's what I do. I basically police the county, if you will, um, when it comes to jobs, you know, when it comes to our members, if there's a member with a complaint or something, you know, is going on that way, I'll go out and handle that. Uh, I work with our contractors with various jobs that are coming out throughout the county, talk to them, put it on their radar, as well as, you know, working with them on manning. There's so many things. It's almost like, I don't know what I'm going to do on a day-to-day, you know, that's, that's my day-to-day. And then of course I, uh, I developed the map program. So then there's that. Oh, that's beautiful. And then for people that don't know, IUOE stands for what? That's the International Union of Operating Engineers. We are heavy equipment, everything from infrastructure on the streets to buildings, roadways, bridges, tunnels. We hold up traffic. Don't get mad at us. We don't like sitting in traffic either, but we're just trying to make a living. But that's uh, that's what we do, the heavy equipment operators. So when you see the dump trucks going and the cranes going and the blacktop equipment running, that's all of our guys out there doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. And we... At uh, the Bolt Company, we're signatory to operating engineers as well. So I'm very familiar. We've got uh, plenty of highly talented people on our staff and we're super proud. I think we just made a list recently. We're like a top something uh, owner of cranes. We've got lots of cranes and a lot of big stuff. Yep. So totally. I am a, I'm a crane operator by, uh, by trade. So prior to this crane operator, whether it was friction, um, over the road, RT, crawler, tower, barge work, you name it, I pretty much did it. Oh, that's super cool. And then, so people, if you're like ever wondering, like, is Felipe pro-union, anti-union? I'm pro-union. Like my, uh, I've been to Black Lake, Michigan, and my parents were UAW. My dad was a union steward. I grew up writing grievance letters against management as a kid. I ended up going uh, to school and people know my history and background, but as a kid, I've always been uh, able to straddle both sides. And I understand why, uh, there is, a, there is sides. Like a lot of people don't even understand the difference. I totally get it from both perspectives. So. Yeah. And much of like, we're going to talk about, you know, unions have been stigmatized over the years and, uh, you know, we're living in a different world now. I, I can get along with a non-union person the same way I can get along with a union person. I grew up in a union household, the union of operating engineers, uh, household of operating engineers. So, uh, of course I'm pro-union, but, um, you know, I, I understand the argument back and forth. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of a stigma there that, uh, isn't quite understood to some degree. Yeah. A lot of people that don't know, like you can live your life and, you know, be a consumer of, or, you know, different career, different industry. You'll never understand until, until you're in it, or you take the time to talk to somebody like Chris. So we'll make sure as you're listening to this episode in the show notes down below, I will have uh, Chris's contact information and the places to get more details and information about him. And while you're navigating down that way, people, 
go ahead and tap that like button, follow and subscribe. So you never miss great videos and interviews like this. Now, Chris, I want to jump right into it. So I want to ask you, you mentioned that you, you came up in a house of operating engineers. So it was almost inevitable that you were going to go this way. Did you ever have an opportunity as you were finishing high school, not to go this route and do something else? And some, some uncle, you know, sat you down and had a talking to with you and said, no, Chris, don't be stupid. You're going to be an operating engineer. Uh, you know, I, I come from a generation, uh, I think where it was put into our head that if you don't go to college, you're not going to be anything. And I think today we're starting to realize that that's very untrue. Uh, we're starting to see, we're starting to see a shortage in tradespeople, as I'm sure you well know. I hold the same thing. I have two teenage sons, you know, whatever they want to do with their life, as long as they're happy. Is this what I wanted to do? Sure. I mean, you know, the camaraderie, the, the, everything that I grew up with, all the people that I've known through my life that were, you know, quote unquote uncles and that kind of stuff. They were, they were all operating engineers. These guys had a great time, you know, made an honest living, uh, put roofs over the head, food on the table. There were some hard times, but that's, that's when you saw it even better. That's when the community came together tighter. Uh, and that was always interesting to me. And that's, that's, that's what I want. You know, that's, that's what you, you know, it was, it was more than a career. It was, uh, it still is. I believe it's, it's family and it's about families because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing this for. We're doing this for our families, whether it's the benefits, the paycheck, whatever it may be, you know, we're going out there every day and we're doing it so we could provide for our families, whether that is food on the table or, you know, health and medical benefits. Yeah. I love that. And then. You know, we talked about, Chris, you're very outspoken on social media about mental health and awareness. And, and it, through my own ignorance, I wasn't aware that you had, had kicked off the member assistance program. I thought that was just something as part of your job as the, as a business agent. So forgive my ignorance because no, no, I just don't right. know. And, and, and because we barely have time to research and get into this, I, I'd love for you to, to go into, you know, what was the genesis of that program getting started? And you put your energy into it every day. You're making an impact like that story you talked about in the beginning. How does that program support uh, construction workers and their families staying in the same vein of families? Yeah, it was, it was awareness, Felipe. It really was. It was just being aware and, and listening. The old timers in, in the construction industry used to say, uh, you know, if God wanted you to talk more, he'd give you two mouths of one ear. So, you know, you should listen. And, uh, you know. Truth be told, I've held that tight to my chest for a long time, but you listen to people and you get to know people. And like I said, this is a community through the years, you work with so many, you're on a job here with, I'm, I'm working with Philippe on this job in 2001. And, you know, I see at a couple of union meetings and next thing we're working together and it's 2012 and, you know, how are your kids doing? Oh my God, that one's in college already. And this happened and that happened. Um, and it's, it's very interesting and through all of that and knowing people as I worked in the referral wall, because I've been around, I guess, for a while and just knowing people and knowing their patterns and their attitudes, you know, you could, you could tell when something's wrong or there's something off or, a co or a contractor would call in and say, Hey, you know, we got this guy, you sent us on the job. He's late every day. Now I worked with Philippe five years ago and you were always there at 
six o'clock and we start at seven and we used to have coffee together and talk about last night's Yankee game and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So that leads me down the road of wondering what's wrong with Philippe. Like that's not him. That there was my own journey and just being an empathetic person, grabbing a phone number and driving home from work when I was done with the office, calling up a guy and saying, Hey, you, you know, how are you doing? Are you okay? You know, of course the first answer was, yeah, I'm fine. Why? Um, cause this is the phone call I got right. and I'll tell you the same story that, you know, when we worked together, you know, I, I don't remember you being late and, and to turn it into a very true story because it is, um, it turned out this gentleman I talked to, he had a 17 year old kid, uh, boy, and yeah, he was running around and using and, uh, he, he just wasn't sleeping at night. You know, that's tough. So now you got to kind of start to put that all together and you say, okay, here's a guy that's in a heavy excavator all day. He's not getting enough sleep. He's got worry on his mind. We're, we're, su we're supposed to be a brotherhood, sisterhood. What, what can we do to help? You know, what can we do to help? And, and I remember saying, is there anything I can do to help? And he was like, I, I don't know. Not that I'm going to fix anything, but sometimes, and in that case, just talking about it, he started showing up to work earlier again. Um, you know, and I had asked the guy from the company, listen, can I speak to him before you get rid of him? Can I speak to him first? You know, see if there's, yeah, that's fine. He's a good guy. He's just always late. That's, that's what had happened. Now, back in the nineties, I had a pretty rough go with, uh, anxiety and depression. There was, uh, there was about a year and a half, almost two years there that um, I was dealing with anxiety attacks, panic attacks, uh, real depressive state, you know, suicide ideation, that kind of thing. And this was in the nineties and, you know, you're not going to speak about this kind of stuff in this industry. You're not going to speak about it whatsoever. So, you know, where, where was my go-to? My go-to was drinking. If I wanted to, uh, if I wanted to kind of forget about the day or try to get the shakes out of me or whatever was going on, I found myself over drink. Um, thank God, not to the point where I started to lose everything. Um, I was lucky enough to say, you know what? I need help. And I got help. I got the help I needed. I, I found a psychologist. I found a psychiatrist. Um, I went through, you know, therapy. Uh, I took some medication to level me off, which took a while. It took a while. And again, this is mid nineties, you know, it, it wasn't fun. And I took that jury alone one, because I wouldn't tell anybody about it because now you're weak as a man Two, because we just, I'm a guy, I'm going to keep it to myself. I don't, you know, I don't want to put anybody out. You know, thinking about that, I said, you know, if I would, if I would have had somebody that I could have talked to or, you know, helped me through this, maybe I would have got help sooner. Um, you know, thank God I didn't take my life. And why didn't I take my life? I didn't take my life for some reason. And possibly that reason is this. And that brings me to, you know, why I'm so outspoken about it, because I kind of, as hokey as it may sound, I feel like I'm alive for a reason. Um, what do I do with that? And here I am doing this. Yeah. To me, it doesn't sound hokey at all. Chris, I super yeah. appreciate you sharing that story with our listeners because 
I mean, that story is way more common than we think. And, and, you know, even I growing up and I grew up in Chicago and came up on the office side through the management side. And for a while I got to, to run some crews and be a, a project leader in a superintendent type of role. And I had some people in the unions that, that pulled me to the side and, you know, luckily they just took pity on me because I was just a young kid, way too eager and, and just dumb and didn't understand like all these things you're talking about. These factors that Chris is talking about, about somebody not getting sleep, uh, having worry because of family issues with kids, uh, doing the intervention to, to talk to somebody before they'd like get let go. A lot of those things, we don't give each other in the brotherhood or sisterhood of construction industry that we are the grace to make that space, to allow that to happen. So if you're listening to the show, this is something that's probably happening on your job right now. The chances of this, these types of experiences not being on your job are statistically impossible. So I just want everyone to just take a second and think about the people, you know, what Chris has just said is like, the easy thing is like, you can just listen to somebody. And if you're not, you can ask somebody to give some grace, make some things available and to just care a little more. And I'll tell you from experience, Chris, that I have yet to find the limit of my caring. It seems like anytime something happens, I can care just a little bit more and it pays dividends. And either for me personally or for the person that it makes a difference to. So if you're out there and you're listening and you think like, this doesn't apply to me and I don't care, then you're probably the one that Chris and I need to care more for. And we got you. <laughs> we absolutely yeah. got you. Yeah. And you got to, you know, you have to be willing to take that walk with somebody. And the other, the other hard part sometimes is when you know somebody needs help and uh, they just don't want it. Uh, so yeah, you hope, you know, you check in on them and you hope maybe they finally say, you know what, I, I think I need some help. Yeah. And I've been that person too, Chris. I've absolutely been the one that's like, I don't need help. I got this. I'm going to shoulder this. I'm going to burden this and shoulder it myself well, alone. And I think we all have, right? You yeah. know, it just doesn't have to be our, right? You know, think about your every day, you know, I got this. I can, I'll show you. I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> 20, 20, 20 trips to the whole remodeling store later. And yeah, you got it done, but maybe somebody could help you with it. Oh my God. <laughs> just, just outside of you, Chris, I had a, I had a painting contractor come to my house yesterday and I said, I'm going to show right. you something that I did because I didn't ask for help and you're going to see it right. in 10 seconds. I didn't even have to let the sunlight hit. He's like, oh, this giant spot right here. And I was like, yeah, I was like, that's me. I was like, please, could right. you blend that in? <laughs> yeah, could do that blindfolded, but it's not much different, right? Right. It's not much different, and, and, but we do that with those things. We do that with those things. I can paint this, you know, uh, you know, I can put that roof on. I'll show you how to do it. Right. We're, we're guys. Yeah. I'll put brakes on my car. Um, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, you know, uh, yeah, you know, you, you name it, we can do it. Um, and that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's just. It should still do it says men, you know, so whether it's, you need help with that or you need help with, it could be a misuse. It could be something going on inside your head. Ask for some help. Absolutely. And asking for help reminds me of looking back. I started this podcast four years ago. We're in season four. Wow. Every single year, somebody has, has mentioned the topic of mental health, addiction, suicide, and, and when I look back to where we were four years ago, when we started to where we are now. I can't see that it's actually better yet. And so 
I think a lot of these issues, I think people are suffering in silence and there's, there's more complexity around this for why it's not changing as a whole or getting better. So I think Chris, from your perspective, you've done the research, you know, these types of issues that are affecting people. What inspired you to create this peer support program for these issues specifically? And if you could share one or two more stories as to like, what, what happens to people when they, they get caught in this net of support? I'd love for people to hear what that is. Hearing people struggle. Um, and when we're, when we're in a crisis, whether it's with ourselves, uh, with, you know, a family member, are you really thinking clearly on a construction site, right? Another set of eyes is always a great thing. You have another set of eyes that can start, you know, being that bridge to getting you or your family member, whoever it is on path to help and taking that burden off of them of calling people and what do I do? Well, if it's a, if it's a husband or a wife, then the spouse isn't a hundred percent there either. You have to realize that the whole family is going through a crisis. That person is, but it's affecting the whole family. Who could be that person that says, all right, stop. What do you need? What's going on? And now start throwing the suggestions at you. Recovery program, uh, therapy, you know, all the different things. Just, just having that clear voice uh, means a lot to people. And it steers them in the right direction because most people don't know where to start. Being a construction guy, anybody that's in construction will tell you and understand, uh, we trust ourselves. We don't trust others. Not many people understand our industry, right? It, it's, it's, it's a strange industry. It's a great industry. I, I love this industry, but it's a, it's a very strange, tight to the hip, close, don't talk, you know, which way do we go? But I'll tell you what, when it's, you know, it, I've always seen it when, when the chips are down, whether that's on a job or that's personal, when the chips are down and somebody needs something, you know, it's jump right in. Yeah. Everybody, what can I do? What can I do? You know, it, we've all been on a construction site. If you're in the industry where somebody loses somebody close to them and right away, you know, you're taking up a collection, you know, let's, let's, let's give him, her some money. Let's, you know, what can we do? We could give them some financial help. So everybody's pulling $50 out here. You know, we put it in an envelope. You know, these are from the guys on the job. You know, that's all well and good, but we could do more. We could do more. And, and it doesn't have to be waiting on people hand and foot, but, you know, checking in on. You have a widow that the husband passed and that might've been an overdose. It might've been a suicide. Who's going to cut the lawn? You know, that's what he always did. You know, can, can we get, you know, get people on track to some sort of normalcy in their life as well as get them to some help and talking about it as well. I talk to so many people, they don't know where to start to find a therapist. And we have a great system here that's been set up uh, by our business manager for our members to go into our funds on the computer, look and see what you need. And I can tell you, you know, we're construction guys. We don't know how to use, it. we don't live in the days of when I was young and the wife was home and can do it. Um, you know, we, we we're living in two income families today. Everybody's go, go, go. We have people with careers now. You know, you, the wife has a career. The husband has a career. 
Um, then you mix the kids into it. They don't know where to go. So it's, oh, forget about it. Um, a lot easier to be at the ready when somebody calls and says, you know, Hey, you know, I, th I think I need to talk to somebody. Um, let's just use an example of my wife and I are kind of at each other's throats and we're thinking maybe go to a marriage counselor. You know, do you have anything? Absolutely. It's as simple as me tapping into the benefits, knowing where you live, doing within a 25 mile radius, sending you that email and you had to do nothing here. It all is in your hands right now. Um, and you didn't have to go through all that, just streamlining ways to get people to where they need to be. So that's the whole point of the show. Easier, better, faster. It's absolutely what you're doing, Chris. I think what I love in that is that, you know, people can come with almost anything and, and your experiences when you're working dispatch is a hundred percent, uh, paying dividends right now in, in this member assistance program, because you never, when the phone rings, you never know what's going to be on the other end or what type no. of situation. I recently, uh, myself had, had did some time in the hospital, uh, that turned out to just be a kidney stone, but there was, you know, you get all the doctors and nurses fluttering over you. And there's all these, like, there's more unknown what's going to happen versus what is going to happen. And then afterwards, when I opened up to people about, you know, where was I on Wednesday? <laughs> it's like, then, then people just opened up and said, oh, this is what I did. This is, these are things that you can do. This is some good advice. Uh, ask your doctor about this. And it's just like the support that people give after the fact when it just took me opening up and just saying, you know, what it was. Right. right? And what happened, right. what I went through. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't know, like some of the things that, that could even be causing that, that stress or somebody even something as trivial as just having a, a minor injury at work and you could get put on some, some painkiller medication, like a oxycodone or something to that nature. I just got a statistic at the pharmacy that, that said that, you know, 40 people die every day from ODing on oxy just in the United States alone. 108,000 a year. 108,000 a year. 108,000 a year die from overdose of opioids. Yep. And, and I think people don't realize that it, it, in our industry in construction, uh, injuries unfortunately happen due to a myriad of issues and you could take a totally normal person. They, they go to the doctor, they trying to do the right thing. Listen to what the doctor says. Uh, doctors just trying to stabilize them and reduce their pain. And the next thing you know, they're addicted to painkiller medication. And yeah. like their whole life changes in, in days. And honestly, if you look at the two, the two biggest leading causes of addiction to opioids, it's surgery and work-related injury. So those are the two biggest. Um, and if you look at what we do in the construction industry, we are the target. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's just real. That's factual stuff. You know, that's, that's factual stuff. Yeah, we'll put some links. We've got some resources where you can see some of these statistics and, and way more stats. I'll put a link to stats from my buddies at uh, SkillSignal that did oh, have yes. a really nice uh, safety site. I know, Chris, you've yep. been involved with Sebastian and some of yep. the work that they've been doing in the, in the yeah, Northeast. They're doing, yeah, they're doing some great stuff. You know, we kind of met the same way. Social media happened to be out there just doing my thing. Kind of, we met the same way, you know, but there's, there's so many, there's so many here that are, doing such great stuff, you know, you say skill signal with what, what they're doing and, uh, safe project, um, you know, God, we could, we could go down the list, you know, one of my biggest 
one of my biggest, uh, heroes there is Cal Byer. You know, I don't know if you ever talked with him, but he's just an amazing person. Um, you know, Dr. Sally Spencer, and Sarah Greer, uh, you know, all, all these people that are coming together for the industry, really it's, it's amazing stuff. That's amazing. You mentioned those names and I feel like I know them because of, of, you know, what they, what they say. I've, I've had the, the pleasure of connecting with Cal and he's very outspoken and suicide prevention bit, right? and intervention. Yes. I mean, I almost feel like I don't talk enough, Chris, compared to Cal, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could do more. But, yeah. You couldn't ask for a better guy. And I'm pretty excited. I'll be doing a, uh, I'll be doing a webcast with him at the end of August. So, uh, I'm excited for that as well. Yeah. Awesome. You know, that's an interesting stat about, I wasn't aware that surgery and accents are leading to that, that opioid, uh, issue with folks. So I think, you know, with that in mind, someone's probably listening that might, that might, they might be in that category. What are some of the things that, that you could offer that people might know, not, might not know that are available to them if they're in that situation where, you know, they had a surgery or they had an accident and they're, they're taking medication and now they're way past the time where they should have healed up and they're still on that medication. You know, for first and foremost, you know, when you're, when you're on these medications and you, you have to, we, we have to take fentanyl into consideration in, in all these medications. And, you know, let's, let's just look down the whole of the Arcan, which is, you know, just an important thing, I think, to have on your job sites, to have in your homes. Uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's people out there doing great work with Narcan and getting it out there. It's, uh, it's important. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that could stop death from an opioid crisis. You know, that's in, in my mind, first and foremost, other than that, you know, you, you have companies out there and you have people advocating, uh, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm plugging everybody, but they're just great people that I've met through my years here, uh, safe project out of Washington, DC, it's a great organization talks about opioids, Goldfinch health there. There's some great people, Brandon, John, they're doing, they're doing some, uh, not addictive treatment for after surgeries, you know, and these are things you have to look at, especially not only for people that may become addicted, but for people that are in recovery that don't want to go on an addictive, an addictive substance after a surgery that might put them back where they were however many years ago. So, you know, there's, there's people out there that are doing it and, you know, they're, they're, they're all good people. You know, the resources are out there, the people are out there and what you need is the acceptance from, from people like, whether it's a construction company, a union, an association, you know, the AGC is doing some great stuff. And here in New Jersey, we have, uh, the UTCA, they just started jumping on with some mental health stuff and that kind of stuff. And, uh, been talking with them as well. And it's, it's a re it's a reality. You know, it's a reality. I, uh, we all go through things like CPR training and we all have AEDs on the job. And for as many times as you've been through CPR training, think about how many times you've used CPR. Truth be told, this is so commonplace with opioids and fentanyl and overdose and you know, all the things we're seeing, you know, this needs to come into our industry. It needs to be accepted. It needs to be looked at as a safety issue. 
and blend it into our safety culture. The things you can do is educate yourself, educate yourself, knowing what's out there, knowing what happens, knowing the signs, you know, it's, it's super important. You know, myself, I carry, I carry two Narcan kits in my car. I have a Narcan kit at home. I have teenagers, teenagers experiment. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know who did what to what or where they got whatever. Um, and you can't be on it 24 hours a day. I hope I never have to use that stuff the same way we hope we never have to use the AED. But, and it's smart just to have it. You know, I hope my smoke detectors never go off in my house, but I have them. So, you know, you start looking at it and normalizing. That's, that's where we have to be. We have to be normalizing it and educating each other about it. And if that's, if that means someone like me speaking out and a couple of people listen, Hey, at least I got, at least I got your attention. Yeah. I'm listening with both ears, Chris, and I got yeah. these super nice uh, headphones so I can hear you in high definition audio. Super appreciate the stories that you're sharing and, uh, taking that responsibility to, to normalize this and, and make this a part of what we have. I totally agree with you. I think, you know, for a long time, and I was just Rolodexing in my head, how many times have I gone through CPR training? I've never heard an Narcan or a Narcan kit until just now. This is the first yeah. time I'm hearing about it. So I'm super glad I learned something here. Final thoughts for people listening to the show and everyone wants an actionable, what can I do right now? What, what are some easy things that people can do to make a difference uh, as they go back to work or as they think about what they, what they got going on in their project or at home? Well, we could, we could normalize this conversation. We could blend it into our safety culture. You know, we all have toolbox talks. If you go, uh, you know, if you go to like, you know, Cal's, Cal's site, you know, he has toolbox talks that you could have around mental health and addiction and suicide. Normalizing these conversations is super important. I was on a webinar yesterday, you know, 988 crisis line just turned one this past month. And based on the figures and the rise in calls was amazing. But interestingly enough, you know, I think that, I think the numbers were, and I didn't get the email yet. I was going to, I want to look over the email. I believe they said that it's basically 4% of the population in America knows about what knows what 988 is. So getting the message out, you know, I mean, simple as something like this flyer around your job site, um, where people can get the information, you know, your local resources. You know, make these available to people, have the conversations. And if you don't know how to have the conversations, get with people that do, you know, raise awareness and don't be scared of it. Don't run away from it. You know, we, we had mental health awareness month in March and, you know, we'll have suicide prevention in September. You know, one of the things that we do in suicide prevention is I do these hard hat stickers, which basically has 988 on it. Um. You know, it's, it just says there's no shame in asking for help and, uh, you know, construction workers, we love, we love, we love stickers for our hard hats. So I could say, don't, don't make it the, uh, police radar. Don't, don't treat it like a police stop. And by that, I mean, you know, you're cruising down the highway doing 80 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone. You see the police car. We slow down the 65, we put our seatbelt on, we put both hands on the wheel. We get past the police car, we whip the seatbelt up, we go back to 80 miles an hour and turn the tunes up. I get it, but you know, 
that was, we did the right thing for a short amount of time. And instead of it just being, you know, a, a month or a day or whatever it is, I mean, you know, the other day was national ice cream day. I didn't even know about that, but I think we have to do something in this union contract for that. But there's always, there's always a, uh, there's always a, uh, you know, a national day of this and a national week of that, you know, why are we waiting for that to, to bring up the awareness? You know, it's July. What, what's wrong with bringing the awareness in July? Uh, what's wrong with bringing the awareness around the holidays? And, and that really all comes with normalizing it. And that's what you see on, you know, my things like Twitter, it's about normalizing. You know, I, I don't know that I throw out the best content, but I just throw it out there. Um, and if it, if it speaks to one person, it's good, you know, let people know where they can get help, you know, listen to people, look at people and, you know, before you, before you say, you know, this person is no good. What is that person going through? What's making that person no good? Um, you don't know it has to know what to do as long as you know who to call. You know, I tell guys in the field all the time, I don't expect you to fix anybody. You know, you're not going to sit there. Well, I can't do that. Yeah, but you can give them my phone number and I can take it from there. So this is, this is a, a chain reaction thing. Philippe saw Chris, he's not good. So he wasn't sure what to do. So what he did was call, you know, this person and that person put something into action and and that's good. We're taking action. We're taking accountability. We're looking out for each other. That, and that's what it is. It's, it's humane. And at the end of it all, it, it's making our construction site safer. It's, you know, it's, it's a way of life. This is what we do. And, and you know, the statistics we could sit here and talk about are, are, are staggering and scary when it comes to the construction industry. So instead of knowing about it and, you know, saying, okay, well, Mental health aware, mental health awareness month. We're all going to put green ribbons on our, uh, you know, on our job sites, and and we're going to say, cool. Let let's keep that green ribbon going twelve months a year. Let's see somebody that's coming out of recovery and not refer to them as a a junkie or a drunk. Let's let's see them as a person that is trying to get their life back together. That really doesn't need that. I mean, is he going? Is is he or she going to live with? that for the rest of their lives is that what they're going to be labeled as and who are you or me or anybody to point fingers we're nobody i wrapping it up when i when i when i talk to people i say somebody in recovery from alcohol will never show up hungover someone in recovery for drugs will never show up strung up. and someone working on their mental health is always in a regiment and in a good frame of mind and together, that's a safe job. So when we talk about safety in the construction industry, let's bring it together and do it and stop shying away from it. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.